0: Good. Everybody and welcome to Carving It Up live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. We have got an absolutely jam-packed show on tap for you guys tonight. You, you know, you know, we ever since we moved the show uh, to Wednesday about a month ago, right before the football season. You know, we're we, we trying to incorporate, obviously, uh, Bryson's best ten, which is going to be uh, in about 45 minutes, an hour, or something like that. My top ten teams in the NFL moving in the Week Five. The funny thing is, nine of my top ten from last last week come back this week obviously there's going to be some realignment there and one new team making their debut on Bryson's Best 10. It's actually kind of a little bit of a surprise team. Definitely stay tuned for that Bryce's Best 10 going into week 5. Also going to get into uh into carving up the context which for the and once again involves an NBA story in what is to me and I'm dead serious when I say this, something that has evolved into the dumbest rivalry I've ever seen in the NBA. I can't speak to college football or the NFL necessarily, but this is, it's a rivalry. It is. But it's one of the dumbest I've ever seen. I'll get into uh, in about a half hour or so. Also going to get into my predictions for tomorrow night's matchup between the Washington Commanders and the Chicago Bears. Uh, Washington starts 2-0. and They lost the last two, even though their offense was good. Last week against Philly, Chicago looking for their first win since October of 2022. So obviously a big a big game for, for for both teams, certainly for Washington trying to kind of keep pace in the NFC East and really more realistically in the wildcard mix in the NFC. And I'll also, of course, get into Dallas-San Francisco, probably the biggest game of this NFL season thus far. And to me, the keys are two individuals for this football game on Sunday night. Cannot wait for that matchup. It's going to be a good one, no question about it, between two contenders in the NFC. But first... Let's start with the team that is at the bottom of the NFC East, and I don't exactly see that changing anytime soon. The New York Giants, who dropped their (laughs) game—dropped their game, that's generous— lost badly to the Seattle Seahawks by a final score of 24-3 the other night on Monday Night Football. Uh, Seattle's offense was kind of uneven all night. Geno Smith at one point got hurt, but the Giants' offense was simply abysmal. Daniel Jones, 27-34, good completion percentage, uh, but just over 200 yards, two interceptions, including a bad pick-six down in the red zone. QBR 22 and a passer rating of 67. He simply did not play well so quickly, real quick on Seattle, because I think the main story here is the Giants, uh, listen I, I like Seattle coming into the season, I feel like they'd be second in their division in the NFC West to the clearly superior Niners, but still go on to make the playoffs with a 10-7 and seven record, they're 3-1 today, I feel really good about it, uh, for the record, Seattle next week I'm sorry, they got a bye week this week, and then the week after they got the Cincinnati Bengals with a beat up Joe Burrow, so you gotta feel good right now if you're if you're a member of the 12th man, because Seattle's is playing excellent football, to lose Geno Smith for the time being, and Drew Locke to come in there and make some plays, uh, Seattle was able to run the football relatively effectively, averaging over five yards a carry, and the defense continues to play uh, to play well. They're still kind of finding their footing, uh, but that Devin with- Witherspoon, who I remember doing a draft show, or the the Grid Network's first ever NFL draft show last April, which for the record was a blast with all the guys in the network, or a lot of the guys in the network, and I remember when Seattle took uh, Devin Witherspoon with the fifth overall pick, and we're all kind of like, what? I mean, he got Christian Gonzalez, which God bless Christian Gonzalez, out for the season with the shoulder injury. I hated to see that because I loved him out of Oregon. So prayers that that, that the young man's able to to heal up pretty fast and be ready for 2024. But I'm like, man, if you're going to take a corner, take Christian Gonzalez. But Devin Witherspoon, he's looked better and better week after week. Uh, It was kind of moved into a different spot in the lineup due to uh due to some injuries in Seattle's secondary and, and play very well. So you give props to him and Pete Carroll knows that a coach defense, there's no doubt about that. So so hats off to the kid for making some big time plays, including the play of the night being uh the pick six to it feel it felt like kind of put the game out of reach for the Giants because they could generate absolutely nothing on the offensive side of the ball. As for the Giants, again to me the bigger story in this game, the team that uh has scored a grand total in two home games of three points. And listen, I'm going to be because we, we hear, listen, New York's a big market. A lot of media there. There's a lot of, if you're great, they love you. If you're bad, they hate you. Uh, it's kind of what it's kind of like New York, Boston, Philadelphia. Uh, you know, some of these bigger markets, even Los Angeles is like this. And Los Angeles, we think, is more of a, a laid back type of culture uh, out West. But, you know, when the Lakers suck, the, the fans will let you know they suck. And, and, you know, if they're great, they they're singing your praises. That's kind of how it is in some of those markets. I'm going to be the rare. Daniel Jones critic who defends him today in the same sense that I did back in week one when Dallas shellacked New York 40 to 40 to nothing on opening night on Sunday night football in the Meadowlands and the Giants again obviously went scoreless and Daniel Jones played poorly uh, that particular evening. So I have over the history of Carving Up Live I actually started my show 2019 which was Daniel Jones's rookie year. I've always been skeptical of him. I've always been of the mindset that for the Giants to take him as high as they did in twenty nineteen was ludicrous. If he, to me, if he hit his absolute peak, his absolute ceiling, he'd be a good quarterback, but nothing special. Nothing in the in the realm of uh, oh, he's an elite player by any stretch of the imagination. Even last year, when it was like Daniel Jones' breakout year. Well, yeah, it was only a breakout year because he stopped turning the ball over at a very alarming rate. By the way, he threw four picks last year. He already has five this season, so you can't expect that trend to to really get in the right direction if you're a Giants fan or if you're Daniel Jones uh, or the Giants coaching staff. But that's really only what I want to hit on. Daniel Jones is limited. That, that goes without saying. I don't think the story of this game is all Daniel Jones sucked once again. That's three out of four games to start the season in which he played poorly. And if you want to date back to last season, the playoff game against Philly, he didn't play well in that one uh, as well. To me, the story is Brian Dable. And I love Brian Dable. I Think he rightfully won Coach of the Year a season ago. Uh, you know, last year, what he did for the New York Giants, helping them get to the playoffs, by the way. And this doesn't postseason doesn't, you know, matter to to voting for these regular season awards, of course, but led the Giants on the road at Minnesota. That's a loud environment to a playoff win. The defense was good. Daniel Jones played well. And obviously lose to, to Philadelphia the next week. But let's be honest, even though I actually picked the Giants to win that game, the Eagles were supposed to win. But there's something you could build off of if you're a Giants fan. You go out and get Darren Waller. You bring Saquon Barkley back. You bring Andrew Thomas back in a big deal. You you uh, you go out and draft my man Jalen Hyatt, who they're not getting the ball to enough. But the fact, the, <laughs> the fact of the matter is this. What do we know about great coaches? Opening drive... Or opening quarter, just to start the football game in general. They have a good game plan. Maybe they start out hot. They put together a nice, solid opening drive, move the ball down the field, kind of a mix of run and passes. Maybe you throw a little reverse in there, a little trick play from time to time. And quite simply, the New York Giants have looked completely unprepared. They've been outcoached in every single game this season. I even say the Cardinals game because the Cardinals are not as talented as the Giants. That game, with respect to the Cardinals, should not have come down to a 20-point comeback for the Giants and a walk-off field goal by, by Graham Gano. That should not have been the case. They've been outcoached in every game, and they've started awfully in every single game. Against Dallas, a scoreless first half, they were terrible. Multiple turnovers, pick six, uh, a blocked punt. I'm sorry, blocked field goal, return for a touchdown for the Cowboys. Terrible. Week two against the Cardinals. They get shut out again in the first half. To their credit, they come back and win that game 31-28. Uh, the, the week after against the San Francisco 49ers, six points in the first half, and they ended up matching that in the second half with six more points for only 12 on that particular evening in Santa Clara. And then last night, once again, a single field goal. The New York Giants simply this season have been awful in the first half and dug themselves too big of a hole to come back in the second half Because we know, even those who like Daniel Jones, thinks he can maybe be a franchise quarterback for the New York Giants, those who may have, I think, wrongly (laughs) defended the Giants giving him the contract that they gave him, would all acknowledge. If you're in a spot where you're down double digits on a primetime game, of which Daniel Jones, by the way, has been horrible, probably the worst, check the numbers, folks. The worst primetime quarterback we've ever seen. We got on Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins has had a, a couple decent primetime games. Name the Daniel Jones primetime moment. It doesn't exist, simply put. So, if you're constantly down double digits, if you're trying to come back constantly, you're not, forget just playing the Daniel Jones strengths, you're simply not being honest and putting your quarterback in a position to be successful. You're not being honest about what he is. Again, of course the Giants made it a, a big mistake. A big mistake giving a four-year, $160 million contract. In no universe is he a $40 million a year player. No universe. But, again, I'm the Daniel Jones critic who's defending Daniel Jones today. He was sacked 11 times on Monday Night Football. By the way, avoided a lot more. We we've always said, like, Daniel Jones' biggest strength is probably his mobility. He avoided multiple. He could have been sacked 13, 14 times the other night. He was sacked 11 times by Seattle. He had no Saquon Barkley. Again, if if you're criticizing, oh, why can't Daniel Jones lift the team? Because that's not who he is. So at least be honest with what you have. Get Jalen Hyatt the ball more. Uh, Run the ball effectively. They can't do that. And Brian Dable, you see him on the sideline with Daniel Jones, where Daniel threw, again, the, Awful pick six. Again, what's funny about that game is that Seattle's up 14-3. to They seem like they had the momentum. And the Giants come out in the second half, put together a good drive, get in the red zone, and then Daniel Jones makes the horrible decision to, to force the ball to the left side. Devin Witherspoon takes it to the house, and that's pretty much all she wrote for that football game. But... He goes to the sidelines, and you see him and Brian Dable. They're kind of kind of having a conversation back and forth, and Dable's got the Microsoft tablet. tablet. Uh, he didn't break it, although he tried to pull a Tom Brady and break the tablet, but he's showing Daniel Jones what, what's, what's going on there, and then he just kind of tosses the tablet, at, like, not at Daniel Jones, but in the direction of Daniel Jones in a very frustrating manner. Bro, this ain't ain't all on Daniel. This is on you too, coach. And I like Brian Brian Dable. I think he's been, I don't think this is debatable. He's been the best coach the Giants have had since Coughlin retired. And I think he's a brilliant offensive mind. And we've seen the success Josh Allen had with him in the past. And it really hurt Josh Allen last year to not have Brian Dable as his offensive coordinator. That said, the Giants, week after week after week, look unprepared. They're committing penalties. They're, They're turning the football over. They can't protect Daniel Jones. The Giants have proved themselves to have maybe the worst offensive line in New York, which would therefore mean the worst in football because the Jets obviously have an abysmal line as we lamented about all offseason. Do I think Daniel Jones is elite? Do I think he'll ever be elite? No and no. At least acknowledge that if if you're the New York Giants franchise and if you are Brian Dable. I like Dable. I actually like aspects of the Giants roster. But play into what your quarterback is good at. If you're limited, play into that. By the way, I give like the Dallas Cowboys. Remember last year and they, they, the Dak Prescott went down and they went four and one with Cooper Rush and the whole media's freaking out like, oh, is there a quarterback competition in Dallas? Which was silly. But part of the reason that that was even suggested was not just that Dallas was winning games, it was that the Cowboys coaching staff, and I'm not a Kellen Moore guy, but you give props to Kellen Moore and to Mike McCarthy. They said, you know what? Cooper Rush can't make the throws Dak can make. Cooper Rush can't push the ball down the field. What we're going to do, and Dallas has a better roster than the Giants in fairness, but we're going to rely on Zeke and Tony Pollard. We're going to ask him, You know, we're going to put him in situations where it's third and four, third and five. Maybe he hits a check down. Maybe he's got to make that one big throw in the game, which Cooper Rush made from time to time to a CeeDee Lamb, to a Dalton Schultz, somebody like that. Keep him out of harm's way. You make him a game manager because that's what he is, because he's a backup. I think Daniel, obviously Daniel Jones is better than Cooper Rush. I don't think Daniel's a backup. I don't think he's top 20, so he certainly could be flirting with that backup sort of role. But I just, I can't be too hard on a player that we know is limited if his coaching staff is screwing him over. Because that's what they are. The Giants have the weapons. They've got Jalen Hyatt. They've got Darren Waller. Okay, even with no Saquon Barkley, who we hope knock on wood should be back pretty soon for the Giants. But it's not a situation where, again, we know he's limited. Again, by the way, it's not Daniel Jones' fault the Giants gave him that, the contract they gave him. I mean, I'm sure Daniel Jones was thrilled about that, but they didn't sign. Daniel Jones didn't sign himself to that deal. Daniel Jones didn't draft himself sixth overall back in 2019. It's mismanagement by the Giants organization, and in particular now, the coaching staff. They look unprepared, undisciplined, and completely outcoached week in and week out. And that simply cannot happen if you're aspiring to, to make the playoffs. Got a few comments here. Parnell uh, is in the comments. The Coast of the Commanders Demand podcast here on The Grid as well as the Sports PSP podcast. Parnell says, the Giants made a mistake giving Daniel Jones the bag. Did they draft Daniel Jones because he's the best quarterback after Kyler Murray or because his head coach at Duke uh, or because of his head coach at Duke who's tight with the Mannings? Um, yeah, I mean, I I know that. So obviously Kyler went one in that draft, the, the late Dwayne Haskins. Went after that, or no, I'm sorry, Daniel Jones. I mean, Dwayne Haskins went after Daniel Jones. My my mistake, he actually went to to Parnell's uh commanders. Um yeah, I mean I, I maybe it, maybe it had something to do with with uh with David Cutcliffe, who's the head coach at Duke, a former head coach at Duke, who is tight with he was Peyton's offensive coordinator at uh, at the University of Tennessee, my, my volunteers, and he was Eli's head coach at Ole Miss. Maybe uh maybe it's because <laughs> maybe it's because Daniel Jones. Is is bears a similar resemblance to Eli Manning in, in many ways. It's I don't know. The Smitty says Niners. I will talk about the Niners in just a second with the Cowboys game against the Niners. And then, of course, no shocker here. Uh, they will, of course, be featured on Bryson's Best 10, my top 10 teams in the NFL a little later in the show in about 30 to 45 minutes. Uh, definitely stay tuned in for that because uh, a little, little bit of a shakeup here. A lot happened in the NFL in Week 4. A lot happened. But again, and someone might say, well, Bryson. Yeah, you're killing Mac Jones for for for, for, for struggling in New England. And well, here's why I'm why I'm crushing Mac Jones. In large part, his attitude. At least Daniel Jones isn't cussing out Dable uh or his teammates or taking shots at them or being immature or everybody in New York seems to like the guy. They just I I would think know he has some clear limitations. That 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 that's what it is. And so by the way, the Giants who they ha- who they have next week. Yeah, it doesn't get a whole lot easier for the Giants. They've got uh this team down in Miami who uh, the, the Dolphins are 11 point favorites in that contest. So, again, doesn't the road does not get easier for the Miami Dolphins. Uh Philip Schnott, my man Philip is in the comments with some man. He says, "As a Cowboys fan, I'm so glad the Giants paid Danny Pennies. That is not uh they're not going to be a threat to us for the next 5 years." No, that they're Daniel Jones is there. No, he's not going to be a threat to to the Cowboys um Listen, Dak Prescott has lost uh twice to the Giants, but has not lost since 2016. So uh yeah, that's long as you have Dak, you're gonna beat the beat the New York Giants. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't blame Cowboys, Commanders, and Eagles fans for being thrilled, or a lot of NFL teams being thrilled that the, the Giants paid Daniel Jones the money they did. And I said the day that contract was signed in mid-March, I said this is lunacy to give him that kind of money. I get the quarterback mark, market changes, but under the context of what the highest-paid quarterbacks in the sport are paid, Burrow, uh, Mahomes, of course, just got his deal restructured. Herbert, Hertz, guys like that, Lamar Jackson, some of the highest-paid quarterbacks. Flirting with about $60 million-ish, mid, mid-50s, $60 million a year. Daniel Jones is not a $40 million-a-year guy. $40 million-a-year, I'd say, is a guy who's currently making that salary now, Matt Stafford. I'm I'm fine with paying Matthew Stafford that amount of money. Daniel Jones, I hate to to play contract here, but is a, I don't know, best case of 20 mil guy. Again, I think he's a starter. He's shown us moments, but uh, it's, again, I think it has more to do with the coaching staff and certainly the offensive line than it does Daniel Jones uh, from what I've seen. Again, we, we know he's limited, but at least play into his strengths from time to time. Okay, so this is the game everybody's looking forward to, folks. It's the Dallas Cowboys and it's the San Francisco 49ers from Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara. The standalone Sunday night football game uh, could be the highest rated game of the season outside of the, with the possible exception of Thanksgiving. You know, the Cowboys game gets big ratings and so does the Lions game. So, uh, by the way, I think both will win. You know, Detroit, Dallas, I think will play in the NFC title game. I predicted that for the season. I still feel pretty good about that today. However... It's not about Thanksgiving. We're it's a long ways from now. It's a month and a half from now. Let's focus on the here and now. It's week five. And this is a matchup between two of the best teams, and not just the NFC, but the NFL in general. So, Niners, and I'm not going to predict this game out right for the record. That's, that's for Friday's show for my predictions. But San Francisco today is a four-point favorite. I, I would probably have it around four and a half-ish. Uh, five, maybe. Five might be a little bit too much, but four and a half feels feels you know closer to where it's at. But, you know, we're sort of uh you know, we're nitpicking a little bit, so four is fine. Four is a doable uh, line. By the way, ESPN's matchup predictor gives the Niners a 55% chance uh, to win, given they're at home. And given the fact that under Brock Purdy, they have not lost a single game, at least in which Brock Purdy did not have to go to the hospital. Of course, he did with the UCL tear against the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC title game. But as for this matchup, a lot of hype around it. We know great San Francisco's roster is. We know Dallas has some elite playmakers on defense and on offense. And uh, and we know that the last couple of years they face off in the playoffs, and the Niners have gotten the better of Dallas in both occasions: one game in Jerry World, one game at Levi Stadium. Here's where I'm at on this matchup. So I do think the Niners are better than Dallas today. I think the Niners have the best roster in the NFL, top to bottom. I actually saw Pro Football Focus, which you know people roll their eyes like, "Oh, you may- you guys mention Pro Football Focus all the time, folks." These people, their jobs, their jobs is to literally sit down and watch film all day. I think they know what they're talking about. Pro Football Focus said that has graded only the Niners, the only team in the NFL that can say this. Pro Football Focus has graded four of their position players number one in the NFL. Four of them. They've got them everywhere. And Brock Purdy is a guy that I've religiously stated since, not, not since his first start necessarily, although I've liked him since then when he made that first start against Tampa and played awesome against Brady and and the Bucs. But ever since then, even especially to now, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago when the Niners beat the Giants on Thursday night football, I said, we have to, to get out of the space that the system makes the quarterback, or I shouldn't say the system makes the quarterback, that's. Shanahan's carrying Purdy, or that this Niners roster is carrying Purdy. Guys, when we look at what (laughs) the difference in the scheme in San Francisco from the days of Jimmy G to to, to Purdy now, night and day. They are asking him to make tough throws. They are asking him to push the ball down the field. They are asking him to get outside the pocket and make plays. So yes, I think Brock Purdy is absolutely of course he's a starter in the NFL. I think he has the potential to be one of the twelve best quarterbacks in the NFL. If he if he plays good enough, maybe flirting with that top 10 spot. But we see I've seen enough from him to this point to show me that he is he is in that class. Dak Prescott is, I think even Niners fans would agree, better than Brock Purdy. And to you, Dak haters, like, oh my God, Brock Purdy's having a better season. Oh, he's never lost. Folks, if you switch Brock Purdy and Dak Prescott, do you think the 49ers would be better? Yes, they would be. Okay, let's 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 just stop this. Dak has taken some eh rosters to the playoffs in the past. See 2018 as a prime example. But what I think is the the absolute, the biggest story, again, we talked about the Giants-Seahawks game a moment ago, the biggest story in this football game, two individuals. Two individuals who participated in, the, in both of the last two matchups in the playoffs and came up small. One not quite as small as the other in the first matchup, but you get the point. Dak Prescott, Mike McCarthy. Comes down to those two. Because the over-under, Vegas in this game, because both defenses are awesome, Vegas has the over-under uh, at uh, uh, 45 so they think it's going to be kind of a low scoring affair. San Francisco, Dallas is going to be struggling just to get to 20. It's this game is not going to be a a shootout where San Francisco going up and down the field and Dallas and it's going to be like a 35 to 31 type of game. It's not going to be that. So, yeah, just just trying to help y'all out for the, for those that that may or may not be be gambling or betting on this game. If you look at let's look at the first matchup the Dallas played San Francisco in. So Jimmy Garoppolo was the quarterback in that game, and that game was the wild card game, NFC wild card game, uh, played in Dallas, in which the Niners won twenty three seventeen. That game more than anything is is well known for the last play, fourteen seconds left. Dallas is at where are they out in the field? I think they're at the 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 uh, forty yard line. Make sure where they're at. The Dallas Cowboys in the spot are at the I'm sorry at the the San Francisco. Uh yeah the San Francisco forty one. And they run the quarterback draw with Dak. Again, they had no timeouts. Again, only 14 seconds left. They botched it badly. Dak ran too far, slid too uh, too late. They, they bumped into the official. They couldn't get the snap off for one final uh, heave into the end zone. And so McCarthy was crushed for it. Kellen Moore was crushed for it. And, and rightfully so. It was a horrendous call. There's no question about that. So McCarthy came up small in that regard. And Dallas had 14 penalties in that game. Dak, on the other hand, in that contest, uh, played, and the stats say he was actually worse than he was in the second Niners-Cowboys matchup. I disagree, but his completion percentage wasn't good. 254 is fine, but not anything to go crazy about. A touchdown, a bad pick in his own territory. And a QBR 0-100, to of 32, and a passer rating at 69. So Dak did not, I I said after that game, I maintained Dak played well enough for them to win given how well the defense played. Uh, He made a fourth down throw to Cedric Wilson that frankly should have been caught. It wasn't, that's neither here nor there. But if Dak makes a throw here, a throw there, puts Dallas in a better spot where he doesn't have to make a, a last second desperate throw to Cedric Wilson. He doesn't. So Dak wasn't, Amazing that game, wasn't terrible, just kind of kind in between. Wasn't necessarily the reason they were in the game, let's put it that way. As for the second matchup, more of the blame goes to Dak Prescott than it does to Mike McCarthy. Because Dak Prescott, in that game, in a game in which, now Brock Purdy started this matchup. When Brock Purdy and the Niners are on a roll, they drop, was it 30-40 on the Seattle Seahawks in the wildcard matchup the week before? Dallas' defense holds them to 19 points. If you're a Cowboys fan and you told, or somebody who picked the Cowboys to win or bet on the Cowboys to win, if you told somebody that going in that game, San Francisco's going to score 19, you feel great. Like if the offense just does anything, if they replicate what they did the week before against Tampa Bay, they'll be in good shape. And they scored 12. And Dak Prescott was the, and I said the next day, as the biggest Dak fan on earth, that game, that game fell on Dak more than it did anybody else. 23 of 37, 206, a touchdown, uh, two interceptions. One was a terrible throw uh, down in the red zone uh, when, when he was looking for CD Lamb. Uh, Fred Warner picked the pass off. Uh, QBR of 53. I don't know how it got to 53. It should have been, to me. It should have been more in the 20s and 30s. Pass rating of 63, which is which is not good. Given those two matchups, the biggest reason that I say it's it's more about Dak and McCarthy is that. Remember last? Yeah, this was last week when Dallas lost the Arizona Cardinals, and and people freaking out. Da da da. da. And I said my biggest criticism of uh, of Dallas and, and and of Dak not necessarily Dak Prescott, but of Mike McCarthy because he calls plays now, and so there's a, a, an extended level of scrutiny of him. Is that against the Cardinals when Dallas is trailing throughout? he takes virtually no shot or draws up no place to take shots on the field. I mean, I remember that late in that game, they're down, was it 12? And they're running the ball in the red zone, like kind kind of similar to the way Colorado, not quite as bad, but kind of the way Colorado was at the end of the game against USC. You're like, coach, what are you doing? Like, you, you need big plays. You need chunk plays. You need to get down the field. Your quarterback, statistically, since he walked into the league, is one of the most efficient quarterbacks in football when throwing down the field. When it's 20 yards or more, Dallas only took three of those shots in that game against the Cardinals. In this matchup, it's going to be all... The focal point of San Francisco's offense is going to be running the football because Dallas has, has been an opportunistic defense. They've taken the ball away from Daniel Jones, from Zach Wilson. They didn't from Joshua Dobbs, and they did... A, Three times against Mac Jones. Brock Purdy is better than all of those quarterbacks. However, they did hold them tonight, did hold him to 19 last year. And not only that, San Francisco's run game is awesome. Did you see what Christian McCaffrey did last week? I mean, you got people out here talking about it. it's Christian McCaffrey, the MVP of the league. Who'd ever thought we'd be saying that at a running back? But it's because of what he can do, not just in the running game, but in the passing game. He had four touchdowns last week and Dallas's defense. As great as it is, as great as Micah and Stephon, Stephon Gilmore, Leighton Van all those guys are the weakness of their defense. They cannot stop the run. Remember, the Cardinals went for 200 rushing yards against them. Now, if Dallas builds a lead early, if they're up 10-0, then the defense, the defensive line could pin their ears back and come after Brock Purdy. I don't anticipate that happening. Whether or not I pick Dallas or not to win the game is beside the point. I don't think they're going to jump out to a 10-0 lead. I don't. If they do, they're in great shape because then they could just come after the quarterback. But San Francisco's in a spot where it could be a Christian McCaffrey game throughout. They got an elite offensive line. And of course, ask Brock Purdy to be in a more reduced role because of how great the running game is. And because Dallas simply cannot stop it. They can't. That's what could get them beaten in the playoffs later on. For Dallas, it's an entirely different story. Dallas can run the ball as well. They do have Tony Pollard. They do have Rico Dowell. They have a solid running game in Dallas. And they're, I think their offensive line is, it's improved drastically from last year pass protection, but it's much better in the running game. This has to be a game, if the Cowboys are to win, where Mike McCarthy, it's the opposite of the Cardinals game, where I think there are going to be moments in which Maybe it's let's throw out a score again. I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be low scoring. Strapped a hat there. Uh, I think it's gonna be low scoring. Let's say it's at one point thirteen to seven niners. Let's say it's 13 thirteen seven niners with five minutes left in the third quarter, and and Dallas is uh, in a position where they've got the ball and they're not generating anything offensively. Maybe there's a turnover in there, but their defense is playing well. They're keeping them in the game. The morale is still high on that sideline. That's got to be a spot where Mike McCarthy, I know he loves the running game. I know he wants Dak to work out of the play action. But where he's got to say, Dak, Dak, you got to go win the game for us, buddy. You, we we are going to up plays for you to take shots down the field. We're going to get situations where receivers separate. Again, the weakness, we talk about the weakness for the Cowboys is their run defense. You could argue if there is a weakness in San Francisco, it's their pass defense. Because as good as we talk about Dallas has played some average to bad quarterbacks this year. I mean, the Niners, aside from Stafford, haven't played world beaters. They played my man, Kenny Pickett. They played, again, Matt Stafford, who's, who's still very good. In um, week three, they played Daniel Jones. And then last week, they played, again, my man, Joshua Dobbs. Uh, but Josh Dobbs, nobody's ever going to mistake him for an elite uh, quarterback. Dak Prescott is, again, the best quarterback that, that the Niners have faced. And so that's got to be a game which the Cowboys running game is not going to win. It's not. They cannot win it if the, if it's a run-first type of situation unless their defense gets, like, four takeaways, which I don't see happening. That's, this has got to be a game where it's a repeat of last year in which Dak couldn't win the game with his arm because he did miss some open throws and he did turn the football over at key inopportune times. If Dak throws a pick, he throws a pick. Again, it's going to be low scoring. I'm not going to be, if Dak throws a pick and it's a bad read, oh my guys, awful. Uh, that's not, who cares about that? It's about whether or not he can make the throws when you really need it. If it's... 13, oh, let's, let's throw out a score here. Let's say it's 20 to 12. 20 to 12, San Francisco, 20 to 13, with five minutes left in the game, and Dallas has got the ball at their own 25. You know what? Let's minimize that down to four minutes, where the running game, there's not enough time for you to run your, 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 your way down there, which I don't think you can anyway because of how great the Niners' front is. Da- Dak has to win the game with his arm, and McCarthy has to allow him to win the game with his arm. He's got to drop plays for Dak to win the game with his arm. Because Dallas cannot win with their running game against that Niners front. They can't. It's going to be a very fascinating matchup because Dak made a couple nice throws in that first playoff game, but not enough. And last year, I can't really think of a signature as the biggest Dak fan on planet Earth. I can't think of that one throw where I'm like, dang, that was a good throw by Dak, or that was a big play by Dak. Cowboys defense was good enough for them to win. They didn't take the ball away, but they held them to 19 points. Like that's You'll take that against that Niners offense. You'll take that. It's got to be a Dak Prescott game. It's got to be a Mike McCarthy game. Very, very interesting matchup. Again, if I'm going to guarantee anything, I'll predict the game on Friday. If I'm going to guarantee anything, it will be low scoring. again. Vegas has the over under at 45. San Francisco's favorite minus four. So do the math. That's about 24, 29 or something in that ballpark. Um, But it's going to have to be a Dak Prescott game. It is. Let's see. Uh, Philip Chennault says, Philip's a Cowboys fan, by the way. He says, if we stop their run game and don't have a lot of turnovers, we win the game, but that's easier said than done against the best running back in the league in Christian McCaffrey. MVP right now, in my opinion. Like I said, I mentioned, people are talking about this guy as the MVP of the league. You can make a case. You can. Um, I don't think two is totally out of discussion. Again, we're, we're only four games in the year, so it's hard to have a a real legitimate MVP conversation. We got to really wait till like late November. Like that's, Late November, early December is when the MVP race will kind of be narrowed down. Like some of the guys will be weeded out. Not to say Christian McCaffrey will necessarily, because he's he's one of the best players in the league. But it'll be it'll be interesting. But. Cowboys win. It's going to be because Dak Prescott because Dak Prescott won the game. Um, now, as far as my defense of Dak, of course, you, you guys know I had to. I'm objective on Dak, but I you know a lot of that involves uh, dispelling myths that the media tries to throw out there from time to time about about rain Dakota Prescott. This notion I've heard so many people say today. This is a crossroads game for Dak. It's a do or die game for Dak. No, it's not. It is not a do-or-die game for Dak. It's not a crossroad game for the Cowboys. its I shouldn't say a crossroad for the Cowboys. Crossroads for Dak. I'll get to the Cowboys in just a second. As, for, for Dak, let's talk about him real quick. If they lose this game, he doesn't play particularly well. Okay, they've got with the five games in the season, they still got 12 games, and they'll get a second crack at San Francisco, and Dak will have a chance to redeem himself, that will be a, a crossroads game. If they get San Francisco, in San Francisco, or even in Dallas, wherever the game's played, and it's divisional round, Cowboys haven't made the NFC Championship game since, since, since 1996, and we know that story goes, like, there's pressure on Dak, 100%, and there should be, That's there's the expectations that comes with that, given his performance the last two years against that team. For Dallas, though, I think it's more for Dallas as a team, as a collective unit, than just for one player. I think they kind of need this. And I predicted Dallas to make the Super Bowl and lose to the Kansas City Chiefs, but I didn't think they would have to play the Niners. I said Detroit would upset San Francisco in the divisional round. Dallas would beat Philly, and Dallas would beat the Lions to advance to to the big game in February. Uh, But if they do meet, is there a little bit of a psychological disadvantage for the Cowboys where it's... Okay, we've lost the last two years in the playoffs. We lost the regular season game week five. Maybe again, we've got to see how the game plays out. But maybe, maybe we didn't play all that well, whether it's the offense or the defense. Like there's that little bit of a psychological barrier that I don't think would exist with the Philadelphia, who Dak Prescott's been very successful against, or Detroit, who Dak's been successful against, or uh, Seattle, who he's beaten before in the playoffs. For San Francisco, it's a bit of a different story. So. I can't wait. It's going to it's going to be an awesome game. I it's it, it's 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 going to be a for those of y'all that love defense, tune in to this game on Sunday Night Football. It's going to be a fun one. But again, what I don't want to see from Mike McCarthy, especially if it's second half, the game's tight, which we assume it will be, what I don't want to see is a conservative run first offense. That's not going to cut it against San Francisco. it's it, it's not. You need chunk plays. You need big time throws from your quarterback. Whether or not Dak can make those remains to be seen. Again, that is, in my view, the best defense in football. They've made Hall of Famers, Aaron Rodgers, uh, look very pedestrian. They've made Matt Stafford struggle. They've made Jalen Hurts look kind of average in the past. It's a great defense. Really, Mahomes is the only quarterback who has been... Now, that Super Bowl, he didn't play all that well until the last half of the fourth quarter. But in the last couple years, Mahomes has really been the only... Elite, which he's the best quarterback in the league, obviously, but the uh, cream-of-the-crop type quarterbacks that uh, has played great. He dropped, I think, 44 it was last year in the Niners, which, again, that's Patrick Mahomes. He's just in a different he's in a different universe than everybody else. But uh, Phillips is 28-27. Okay, so a little bit of a high-scoring game you've got, Philip 28-27, Dallas wins. I will need to check. I think that was my score prediction for the game uh, in the playoffs last year, 28-27, Dallas. I think it was. Uh, or, or was it, was that my score for Dallas and Tampa? I think mine was more like 24, 20 Cowboys. I don't know. I know I picked the Cowboys to beat the Niners last year in the playoffs. Obviously I was wrong, but I guess, I think, I think my prediction is 28, 27 Dallas over the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But if they, if they beat San Francisco to score 28, uh, they'll, I think they'll be at the top of Bryce's best 10 to go into week six. I'm just going to tell you right now. That would be highly, to me, let's put it this way. Who was the old, I shouldn't say old, who was the former um, TV announcer? I'm forgetting the guy's name. Uh, It's back in my brain. I can't remember the guy's name. Who was the former TV announcer for the Los Angeles Clippers? Um, Remember he had some of those iconic calls, those Blake Griffin dunks uh, back in the day. I'm forgetting the guy's name. He was was a really good broadcaster, but he, he had a rule. In the past where he said the first, I don't know how accurate NSLE is, but he said like the first NBA team in a basketball game, first team to 100 usually wins. I think this is going to be a game where it's first team to 24 wins. I really do. I think if, I'm not even sure if either team will even get to 24 because both defenses are great, but I think if whoever scores 24 in this game, whoever gets to that point total, they win the game. I, I'm telling. You, I am thrilled. I, listen, I may be a former Cowboys fan and obviously a a, a, a lifelong Dak Prescott fan. I'm an NFL fan. At the end of the day, this is gonna be an awesome game. Awesome game. Bryson's best ten later in the show. By the way, after this next segment, which is a uh, carving up the context. So NBA Media Day has been or has been going on. NBA training camp has already started. And NBA Media Day was on Monday. Of course, the big story was was well, there was two big stories. James Harden. Not showing up for media day. Well, it's James Harden. Are we all that surprised? Uh, He, we talk about running from the grind. James Harden runs from the grind. Uh, It's uh, three teams he's quit on, but this isn't about James Harden. The second biggest story was uh, Jimmy Butler's new email look, (laughs) which he's going to ditch pretty soon, but that's going to be his player picture all season long. And I think that's, that's kind of the, that's kind of the point. But one of the most, and this is always the case because they're the Dallas Cowboys, the NBA, in terms of the, the media attention they get, and rightfully so. It's it's a big brand. It's a, been a highly successful franchise. Uh, the Los Angeles Lakers are going to be one of the most watched, if not the most watched team in the NBA this year. Up there with Denver and Milwaukee and Golden State and Boston and Phoenix. Like all of those, those six teams we're going to be paying attention to throughout the course of the year and certainly once the playoffs get here in April. But the Lakers had their media day. LeBron spoke. He said Anthony Davis is the face of the Lakers, which I think is nuts. I still think LeBron James is the face of the league. I think LeBron and Steph are still like the the guys, the you know the faces of the NBA. So LeBron's, AD's not even the face of, uh, LeBron's still the, the face of the Lakers, therefore he's the face of the NBA. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. But Anthony Davis spoke. And before I get into what Anthony Davis told you, as Deion Sanders would say, as I always say on this show, give me my theme music. It is time for carving up the context. Here we go. All right, so, talked about Anthony Davis, and he was doing a bunch of interviews, as all the players were, uh, with the LA media, with the Lakers' uh, local broadcast team. Take a listen to what Anthony Davis said regarding the team that beat them, that swept them in the Western Conference Finals, the team that ended up winning the championship, the Denver Nuggets. Take a listen to what he says in terms of what the Lakers were thinking of the Nuggets in the offseason. Take a listen to AD uh, uh, the other day on Lakers, at
1: Lakers Media Day. Um, it's very motivational. I mean, obviously, you know, KCP is my guy. So you kind of <laughs> congratulate him. Like you got this one, but, um, it was just a lot of like the talking and all the Lakers that like, I, it was just so much of that going on. Like, all right, we get it. Y'all won. But, you know, I think, you know, me and Brian had some conversations. like, we can't wait, mm-hmm. you know, like, like James says no more victories. You know, and, and we didn't like, oh, well, we had a 0.3, 0.3 chance of making it, and then we got to the West. like, nah, you know, we feel like that we had enough to, to win. Um, obviously, we were climbing uphill battle for two months trying to make it to the playoffs, but um, it's a lot of motivation. Like, you want to win. Anytime you lose, you know, it's motivation to get ready for the next season and try to compete for a championship. So um, that in itself is motivation, but also all the little talking that been going around all summer, you know, we – Y'all heard it? Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
0: So, Anthony Davis says that he and LeBron James were talking this offseason about how the Nuggets were uh, doing the trash talking, whatever the case may be. Um, Here's the issue with that, and here's the context. I challenge Lakers players, and I challenge Lakers fans, and I challenge Lakers media and NBA media in this regard. Name the comment by a notable Denver Nuggets player that openly took a shot at the Los Angeles Lakers, be it any of their individual players or the team as a collective unit, name it. Because I, and for the record, in fairness, I criticized Michael Malone, the head coach of the Denver Nuggets, when, remember after they won the championship, he was on the Pat McAfee show the day of the parade. And LeBron, we know, had been contemplating retirement, which again, he was in year 20, age 38. I don't think that's a crazy thing for for LeBron to do to think about like, hey, how much longer do I want to be doing this given how great I've been and how much at this age and stage of my career, how much it takes to get me ready to play a season and just to play single games. And Michael Malone was saying, Hey guys, I'm going to be retiring today. I didn't love that. I didn't matter of fact, I didn't like it at all. I, 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 in, I'm defend LeBron in that regard. And I, I criticized Michael Malone for that, for that comment, but the whole, the whole nuggets announcer saying that, Oh, Michael Malone is the Lakers daddy. Who cares? He calls the games. This guy, I don't even know his name has no impact, no impact. And I love play-by-play announcers, by the way, especially the great ones. But this guy has no impact on the outcome of games. Whether the Nuggets win, lose, whatever the case may be, when the Lakers and Nuggets play on opening night on October, what is it going to be, October 24th, uh, so a few weeks from now, that guy's going to have zero impact in that game, if he's even calling the game. I don't know if he's going to do radio, whatever the case may be. This has to be the most pathetic rivalry in the NBA that I've ever seen. Not kidding. And it is a rivalry it is it it, it in my book a rivalry is there's got to be a push and pull there's got to be one team beats one team uh then the other team comes back whether it's the next year or years later and beats them it's got to be within the the time frame of when the key players are there like it can't be uh, I don't know the 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 uh, the Lakers beat the Pistons in the late 80s in the finals, and then in 2035, they beat the Pistons in the finals again. That's not a rivalry, okay? It's been a 40, 50-year time frame between those two. Lakers beat the Nuggets in the 2020 Western Conference Finals. Nuggets beat the Lakers in the 2023 Western Conference Finals. Therefore, it is a rivalry. Like, all honesty and all objectivity, the Warriors and the Lakers do not have a rivalry. There may be... Mutual respect, sure, but some dislike there, yeah. But the Lakers beat us in the playoffs last year. I don't count the play-in tournament. Stop. We didn't have a full roster. Play-in tournament, that's not the playoffs. It's not. It's not a best-of-seven series. Lakers beat us last year, though. We haven't beaten them in a best-of-seven series. It's not a rivalry. In that same breath, we've beaten Memphis in a best-of-seven series in 2022. They have never done that. Certainly with this group. It is not a rivalry. But this weird, I don't get it. The only comment I remember talking about on this show where a Lakers player said something about a Nuggets player was when Rui Hachimura, I think it was at halftime of like game two or whatever it was, when he said that the Nuggets were attacking the rim because the Nuggets don't have a rim protector. Okay, that's a little shot at Jokic, but is he wrong? Jokic, as great as he is, as great as he is, Jokic is not a shot blocker. He's an awesome scorer, an awesome passer. He's not a shot blocker. So I, I didn't think that was even a, a sh- I mean, it's a little dig, but it, he wasn't, he wasn't lying. And so this weird, you know, LeBron's talking about the, the nuggets and 80 said, yeah, yeah, man, me and LeBron, we're talking like, this is, yeah you know, we going to get them this year. Come on, man. Worry about the fact I- I'm slowly, and you guys know since the off season started, So, like, the day after, or, well, actually, I did my show the Thursday. My first show after Denver 1 was a Thursday. So, from that day on, and certainly this, I maintained this during the offseason, during free agency, uh, whatever you know, some trades were made. I said, look, I think that the Nuggets are the favorites out West. They lost Bruce Brown, which is a sneaky big loss, but Jokic is the best player in the NBA today. Today, he's the best player in the NBA. Uh, Jamal Murray, I think, is going to have an all-star level season. You got Aaron Gordon coming back, Michael Porter Jr. You got solid Bench, uh, Christian Brown, good coach. Denver's the favorite today. We should respect them in that regard. And I said, tied, neck and neck at second, Lakers-Warriors. You say, oh, my God, the Lakers beat the Warriors last year and did it in six games. If you watch that series, Lakers blew out the Warriors twice, Warriors blew out the Lakers twice. Games 1 and 4 could have gone either way. Especially game 4, it's funny. Game 1 they blew a lead but ended up ended up, you know, taking it there at the end. And in game 4, we blew a lead with when Lonnie Walker going crazy in the fourth quarter. Still gives me nightmares to this day. But I thought they were neck and neck, followed by probably Phoenix who I still don't buy into and then like Sacramento, then you go Clippers, like sort of in that order. I'm not even going to lie to you, y'all. I, 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 By the day, I'm buying less and less of the Lakers. Like, if the mindset by the Lakers is, like, it's all about Denver, they're going to lose. Be it to Golden State, be it to, and I'm dead serious when I say this, the Sacramento Kings, you say, oh my God, Sacramento. Sacramento is younger legs. Anthony Davis, we know his history, knock on wood, obviously don't ever wish for anybody to get hurt, but we know his history not just of injuries, but of consistently inconsistent play. Consistent, inconsistent play is the best way to put that. And LeBron, and while I love LeBron, I think LeBron's the greatest basketball player that's ever walked this planet. He is 38, going on 39 in year 21. Now, when he's on the floor, he'll still be great. Not best player in the league, great, but still great. Still, I think, top five, worst case, top 10 player, great. But when I have to worry about your best two players health, it's not unfair of me to say, I don't know if I trust you quite as much, certainly as Denver or even as much as Golden State. And so it's. But what Anthony Davis talking about, oh, there's, we're, 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 we're gunning for, for, he didn't exactly say we're gunning for Denver, but he was implying that me and LeBron are having conversations, conversations about what? If you're having conversations about, hey, we're going to, let's let's go win the championship next year. Okay. That's different. Every team's, every contending team's doing that. That's, 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 that's normal. But if you're talking about one team, I'll tell you what this means. I'll I'll tell you what, (laughs) I'll tell you what guys, Lakers better win an opening night. Will it determine the course of their season? Of course it wants one game, one out of 82. But if the Lakers go into Denver, opening night, ring ceremony, and after the made-up trash talk that the, the Lakers have made up about the, 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 the Nuggets players, again, Jokic hasn't said anything, Jamal Murray hasn't said anything, Aaron Gordon... Uh, None of the important players, if some, if the 14th guy, if, 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 I'm sorry, if the sixth or seventh guy on the bench said something about LeBron or being old or something, eh, who cares? It's, it's, and I don't even remember that being the case. So what Anthony Davis is saying, it's kind of a straw man. I'm not going to lie to you uh, about Michael Malone. That's one thing. Again, that was just one comment Michael Malone made. And then the Nuggets, Nuggets announcer, man, who cares? He, does he play? Does he coach? No, disregard it. Who doesn't matter. Okay, that's the equivalent, I'm not trying to disrespect the guy, but that's the equivalent of if, I don't know, the, the uh, like, a a, a, a a season ticket holder with has courtside seats said something. Okay, he doesn't impact the game. I don't know, I saw Anthony Davis said that, I'm like, really? Uh, this is not, it's a rivalry, technically, at least by my definition of it, it has to be the most pathetic rivalry I've ever seen in the NBA. It, it really is. And so, hey, listen, let the Lakers worry about the Nuggets while my Warriors... Who have a, the, the Morales finally back in the locker room? We've got smart players. We've got good young players. Eh, let the Warriors uh, run rough shot in the West as we tend to do. Y'all worry about Denver, uh, Lakers, but and you should worry about Denver. Everybody should, in the West should worry about Denver. But that's not the only team that's a threat to you. It's not. This is weird comments by Anthony Davis. I, I don't didn't get it at all. Uh, very odd. But again, it's going back to. Um, and I still, think I love the. I think the Lakers roster. And I'm saying this is a Warriors fan. I think the Lakers roster is excellent. They added shooters. The Christian Wood addition, I don't think is near as big as people are giving credit for. There's a reason Christian Wood was available in September. Let's be honest. Um, but I think Austin Reed is going to be better this year. I I I love the. I've I've always been. I've been a Hachimura fan since his days at Gonzaga. I think he's a really really solid player. Uh, I think he'll be good. Uh. So so look, you, you give. D'Angelo Russell, bring him back. Again, solid move. I'm, I'm not a big a, as big of a D'Lo fan as some are, but I understand them bringing him back. So uh, they added what's my man's name from uh, played at Duke in college. Oh my gosh, uh, Cam. Uh, oh, what's his name? What's his name? Uh, oh, it's driving me crazy. I can't remember his name. I know it's Cam something, right? The guy from, played at Duke, played with Zion and R.J. Barrett. I don't know. Somebody in the comments helped me out. Name's not coming to my mind at this particular juncture. But, yeah, that's where I'm at on the Lakers, though. That's where I'm at. It's just just weird. I'm sorry. It's weird. It's the most pathetic rivalry I've ever seen in the NBA. By far. By far. What is, you know, I'm going to, you know, guys, I'm going to Google this. This is, how do I not remember this guy's name? Hold on. You just search the Lakers roster. Sometimes you just got to do some on the wood, or on the wood, on the, um, on the fly Google searches. Oh, they had Gabe Vincent. I forgot about that. Um, where is he? Crap, I can't even find him here. It's unbelievable. Let me just hold on. Let me see. See, this is like I said. This is, this is this is This is sometimes you're doing live podcasts. Your your brain just goes. It just it just goes, man. Uh, hang on. So let me. I'm just looking at Duke's roster now. Cam Reddish. That's who it was. Cam. I was like, it's Cam. Cam. Cam Reddish. That's who it was. And I like Cam Reddish, by the way. Really liked him out of that draft. Has it panned out into what I thought he'd be? But, but yeah. The, again, the Gabe Vincent. Uh, they added. Uh, uh, again, they added. Uh, uh, they brought Jared Vanderbilt back. They brought D'Angelo Russell back. So good moves by the Lakers. But I worry about more than Denver, guys. It's worry about more than Denver. Okay. So, uh, hold on. This just got this update. According to Jeremy Fowler of ESPN. This says the Raiders will not trade Devonte Adams, uh, despite all the recent chatter about frustrations within the team. Okay, I uh, I don't know if I totally believe that. Not I'm not disregarding the report. I'm disregarding the the the, the Raiders saying they won't trade him. Eh. Okay. Oh, oh oh okay. Um. It may get to a point where you have to where he's frustrating up the organization because Devonte Adams joined the Raiders. The whole point of that was. Listen, Aaron Rodgers is awesome. We have a great rapport, but year in a year out, he's talking about retirement, and I don't want to get to a point in time where I sign long-term with Green Bay, and then Aaron Rodgers leaves, and I'm stuck with Jordan Love. I'm stuck with an average to a bad quarterback. Jordan Love's not a bad quarterback, but I do think he's in, he's kind of the average to below-average category. I don't want to be stuck here. I want to play with good quarterbacks. And so he goes to Vegas to play with Derek Carr, who you guys know I love Derek Carr, but that's his college teammate. And the irony is the reason he left Green Bay That situation, or what he didn't, what he thought might transpire in Green Bay, is actually what transpired in Vegas because they traded Derek Carr. So they trade Derek Carr, they they moved on from Derek Carr. That's the point, uh, the point of the story. So I don't, we'll see. Let's let's see three weeks from now whether whether this story and this um, mindset by the Raiders remains remains the same about not trading Devontae Adams. Like if you keep losing games. And again, you play in a a, a division that has the Kansas City Chiefs in it and in a conference that has a plethora of great quarterbacks and and tremendous contending teams, you you may be in a situation where you have to trade, but you get a haul for them. You get get a haul for them. Okay, it is now time for for one of my favorite segments of the week. You guys know my favorite segment is if I were a betting man. But the next best thing is something I introduced before this NFL season. And by the way, in future... Installments of this segment. It won't be relegated to just NFL. It'll be. It could. It, it could be top ten Star Wars movies. Okay. By the way, Ahsoka, the finale, awesome. I need a season two. Point is, back to sports. It could be anything. But given that they're in the NFL, we're in the NFL season. It's a week to week league. It is now time for Bryson's best ten. So let's go and get the background music going. Here we go for Bryson's best ten. Going into week five now let's start with the 10th best team in the NFL a team making their Bryson's best 10 debut for this 2023 NFL season it is the Los Angeles Rams LA not the Chargers the Rams are, to me, the 10th best team in the National Football League, and here's why. So, they're 2-2. Two two. Uh, they've had a couple of clunkers against the, uh, well, not I shouldn't say a couple. They have one clunker against the Cincinnati Bengals, but the comeback last week, they beat the Indianapolis Colts. They do so in overtime. They did blow a 23-point lead for the game to get to overtime, but Matthew Stafford throws a pass to, Kuka, to Puka Nakua at the end to win it. By the way, Nakua has been a man amongst boys in his rookie year, 39 catches through four games, I believe that's an NFL record, if I'm not mistaken, certainly a rookie record, Uh, and you you consider the fact that it was just announced today by Sean McVay that Cooper Cup is going to be back with the team soon, looks like he may uh, be able to suit up this week and play uh, for the Rams against the Philadelphia Eagles, they'll certainly need him for that matchup. But he consider the fact when Matthew that Matthew Stafford throughout the first part of the season has been efficient. Uh, he's played relatively clean football. The big shocker for the Rams, at least in my eyes, because I view the Rams as kind of like a seven-win team, is the fact that they have run the ball, even back to their Super Bowl year. They did not rush the football uh, this effectively. Uh, one of the uh, one of the best teams in the NFL run, uh, run the football. Uh, The offensive line has been better than expected. Aaron Donald has been great in the defensive side of the ball. The defense, uh, the the front seven, has been very good. It was was good last week against the Indianapolis Colts with the rushing attack that they have. Matt Stafford's played good football. They've got Puka Nakua. They've got Tutu Atwell. And they've got Cooper Cup coming back from injury. I like their running game. I like their weapons. I really like their quarterback. And I like their defense. Yeah, this week, they crack in the top ten. They want to go up this list? beat Philadelphia, then a lot more people will buy into the Los Angeles Rams. At number nine, a team in the Rams division, it is the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle, the ninth best team in the NFL, and here is why. So Seattle, I had them at eighth last week. You're like, Bryson, how the heck do they drop? Well, I had Buffalo at 10th last week, so obviously Buffalo uh shot up the list but because they're winning against Miami, but this is about Seattle. So, what I thought was very impressive and the story of that game against the New York Giants was oh they struggled or I'm sorry the Giants struggled Daniel Jones and they weren't uh, they weren't able to protect him whatever the case may be what I thought was impressive about Seattle is the fact that Geno Smith gets hurt is out of the game uh, for the time being Drew Locke comes in uh, plays well uh, has a QBR of 81 uh, while he's in the game. Seattle ran the ball very effectively. I've always been a Kenneth Walker fan, but they've also got Charbonnet who ran the ball well, averaged six yards a carry. So when you consider the fact their backup steps in, their offensive line plays well despite some injuries there, uh, you've got obviously the good running game with Charbonnet and with, with Kenneth Walker. And they've got, and I've said this since the offseason, it's why I picked Seattle go back to the playoffs. They've got maybe the most underrated wide receiving core in all of football with DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Jackson Smith and Jigbus. Would you consider what they can do in the run game and the pass game? And first and foremost, this is a, let's just say last but not least, this is a Pete Carroll coach defense and those tend to be Flirting with Elite. They tend they seem to get better and better week after week. Uh the Seattle Seahawks are looking good right now. Uh, I'm not saying they're a contender, but I do believe they're a you know a team that's gonna make the playoffs this year. Uh they are to me the ninth best team in the NFL. to number eight, it is the Detroit Lions. And again, you say Bryson, why did they drop for a spot? That is because the uh because the Buffalo Bills uh jump up uh, multiple spots on this list. Uh but the Detroit Lions to me, Detroit Lions are the ninth best team. I'm sorry the Detroit Lions are the eighth best team in the National Football League, and here's why. Uh, when you, and now you guys know I've been high on the Lions all offseason. I predicted predict them to get to the NFC title game. I've, they've looked pretty good thus far, particularly on the defensive side, which is like part of the reason I said they get there, because their offense, we know how good it is. And the offense is actually getting some reinforcements. Jamison Williams is coming back from not just an ACL tear, but a gambling suspension. He'll be back in the lineup uh, sooner rather than later. Jared Goff has played it very good football, especially with a clean pocket. This Lions offensive line is amongst the, amongst the best in the NFL. They've got a good running game. Obviously, we would like them to use uh, Jameer Gibbs more, but David Montgomery was a monster in that Thursday night win against Green Bay, and that, too, is the mark of a contender. In a situation where Green Bay is not, not a bad team, I don't love Green Bay this year, but they're, they're not a bunch of scrubs. Jordan Love's had his moments. That's a solid Green Bay defense and solid weapons there. When you are a team that's favored on the road going in against a division rival that you historically have gotten owned by, and you go in and mop the floor with them in virtually every aspect of the game, up front, in the running game, in the passing game. Their secondary was good, uh, was opportunistic, taking the football away from Jordan Love. Um, There's not a whole lot I don't like about this Lions team. I think they're well coached. I really like their roster. Uh, Jared Goff just continues to show, at least in my eyes, why he is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, Detroit Lions, the eighth best team in the National Football League. At number seven, a team that fell a lot, it's the Miami Dolphins, who I had at number two last week. They dropped five whole spots to number seven this week. Although, you know, they still stay in the top ten, uh, Bryce's best ten, but Miami at number seven here is why. So, we saw, we saw again, the 70-point game kind of being the capper. But this is a Dolphins offense that's been one of the most explosive in the league. It's definitely the fastest offense in the NFL with Tyreek, with Jalen Waddle, uh, with Raheem Mostert. Um, with with the rookie running back they have there as well. Good offensive line. I'm not going to lie to you. That game against Buffalo, again... You can lose, lose in the NFL, but it really is uh, how you lose does matter. How you win matters. Remember, Minnesota won all those close games last year. I liked them. Most didn't. They were validated when they lost to the Giants in the playoffs uh, because simply put, the Vikings weren't blowing teams out. And if you're a good team, you kind of need to blow teams out from time to time. Even bad teams do that here and there. But as far as the Dolphins are concerned, that is not a game. Again, if you want to be in that discussion, which I still think they kind of are amongst the contenders in the AFC you can't show up at kind of the opposite of the lions here. You can't show up against a division rival on the road. I get it's Buffalo, but it isn't Buffalo in December when it's crappy weather. It's probably snowing. It's it's 25, 30 degrees. No, weather was good in Buffalo. It's October, early October weather. That should be clarified. Uh, Tua wasn't terrible. He, he wasn't particularly efficient in the second half. The running game kind of went, especially after Buffalo built the lead they did. Uh, Jalen Ramsey will be back later this season, we assume. But this is a Vic Vangio coach defense, and I thought that'd be a huge acquisition for this Dolphins team. Uh, thus far, it hasn't paid quite the dividends that I thought it would. However... Miami's got a pretty easy schedule the next few games. They do have the New York Giants this week at home. They should win that game. Uh, Miami, I think, will be fine. But I did think the Bills exposed uh, some issues that the Dolphins do have. The Miami Dolphins are the seventh best team in the NFL. At number six, a team that drops a couple spots, the Philadelphia Eagles. And you're like, Bryson, timeout. They're 4-0, one of the only two 4-0 teams in the NFL, along with the San Francisco 49ers. And you dropped them a couple spots? Yes, I did. And here's why. So, I was very impressed with Philadelphia's offense. That's the best they've looked thus far this season in the passing game with Jalen Hurts. A.J. Brown had a big-time afternoon against the Washington Commanders. A weakness that Philadelphia has, though, the good news is they can address it in the trade deadline. Uh, If they go after, uh, you know, this particular position, the middle of their defense and their secondary in general is truly awful. 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 There's not been, aside from the game against Tampa Bay, in which the offensive line for Tampa Bay struggled badly against Philadelphia's elite front four. You've got Sam Howell going up and down. And Sam Howell's fine, but Sam Howell's going up and down the field on him. You got Kirk Cousins, if he's not turning the ball over, going up and down the field on him. Heck, you have Mac Jones going up and down the field on this Philadelphia defense. That is something, and I love the offense. And you guys know I, I bought into Jalen Hurts starting last, starting last season. The running game is awesome. Their, their offensive line is great. Their front four is amazing that secondary will get them beat in the playoffs if they don't address it at the trade deadline. Dak Prescott can beat that that secondary. We've seen him do it in the past. A healthy Brock Purdy is capable of being that secondary. Jared Goff is is capable of being that secondary. I mean, Mac Jones is. Any of those guys are. So that's got to be something they address. But They're 4-0. They're absolutely a contender in the NFC. I really really enjoyed seeing them them put together a good offensive performance, at least from their perspective, but they have got to, got to, got to address the middle of their defense, the safeties in particular. Philadelphia, to me, actually dropped the sixth best team in the NFL. At number five, I never thought I'd see the day, this year at least, where this team would move up uh, the way they have, but at number five, it is the Buffalo Bills. So, Buffalo have got at number five uh, for, for very obvious reasons. So, they suffer the the bad loss on the road against the New York Jets with Zach Wilson playing all, but of course, famously, four snaps in that football game. But if you look at the last three weeks, look at v- virtually all the numbers, Josh Allen's been the best quarterback in football. He's first in pass rating, first in in, in in yards. He's not turned the football over, uh, which has kind of been his bugaboo, even as high of a ceiling as he has. His floor is being careless with the ball, being careless in general, being reckless is what I've called him, uh, taking risks that really don't need to be taken uh, given the game situation. Stefan Diggs had a monster afternoon against the Miami Dolphins. They carved up that defense up and down the field. Uh, but Buffalo's defense, too, to me is the story and the fact that they're top a top three in virtually every defensive category that matters, whether it's points, whether it's takeaways, whether it's sacks in particular. Um, I don't know if they're th- third in, in takeaways necessarily, but they're, th- they're definitely top three in sacks. They've got Von Miller coming back pretty soon. I've always liked Sean McDermott. I think he's a good coach. Buffalo's running game has been better than it has been in years past with Josh Allen. Uh, there's not much not to like. The only reason I have him at, f- at five and not where a lot of people have them, which is like two, three. Some people have them as the best team in the league, which I think is absurd. But the reason I have them at number five and not higher is because the fact that we've seen them do this before. They got these hot regular season starts, these 4 and one starts, these 6 and one starts. Today, they're obviously 3 and one uh, and then, then they kind of finish the regular season either rough or they have some clunkers uh, in the playoffs. We've seen them do this before, um, and that's I think that's a reasonable criticism to have of Buffalo, but they look great. Both sides of the ball, the Bills, are the fifth-best team in the NFL. At number 14, that moves up a spot from last week, it is the Baltimore Ravens. Sickens me as a Steelers fan to say, But I got to call it like I see it. The Ravens, to me, are the fourth best team in the NFL, and here is why. So what I thought was very impressive, and I said I picked Baltimore to win that game against Cleveland before I even knew Deshaun wasn't going to play that game. Uh, Obviously, Deshaun, I've been critical of him, but he's a better option than Dorian Thompson Robinson. I was impressed with the fact that the Ravens went into that game against a Cleveland defense that's been shutting offenses down. They hold the Bengals to three. They hold the Titans to three. They hold the Steelers' offense, which isn't that hard to do, by the way, with Matt Canada coaching. They hold them to 12. And Baltimore walks onto Cleveland's uh, Cleveland's grass turf, wherever they play on uh, these days. They walk into Cleveland, drop 28 on their heads, and you got Lamar Jackson out here who'd struggled a little bit having a pass rating of 142. That added to the fact that they rushed, rushed for 131 yards against a Cleveland Browns front seven, which is among the best in the NFL against a well-coached Browns defense against Jim, uh, which was coached by Jim Swartz. Uh, listen, and they're doing it too without Odell Beckham Jr. They're doing it at the moment without great wide receiving receiver play. John Harbaugh is a great coach. We know how great they are on special teams with with uh, with Justin Tucker, but Lamar's played good football. The rushing, the run game has been good. Uh, again, they brought Ronnie Stanley. They got Ronnie Stanley back from injury. The secondary got better with Marcus Williams coming back. So uh, the running game has been excellent. Passing game has has it, you know, really took a big step in the right direction. I love Tom Munkin as a fit with Lamar Jackson. Uh, the Ravens to me are the fourth best team in the NFL. They they look good. They, they they really do. I think they're the favorites in the AFC North today. Especially the way Cincinnati's flounder. Ravens to me, fourth best team in the NFL. At number three, it is the Dallas Cowboys who move up a couple spots. I haven't at number I had them at number five last week. I have them at number three today. And here is why. So we know how great the defense is, and the defense I want to apologize to the Cowboys and their fans for saying that the Patriots would score 16 in the Cowboys uh, when I when I predicted that game. I said Dallas would win 34-16. to 16. I apologize for making the insane assumption that, that Mac Jones, of all people, would put up 16 points. That's not much, but for Mac Jones, that's a lot. On the Dallas Cowboys defense, I apologize sincerely for that. Dallas' defense was awesome. They got to Mac Jones consistently. They turned the ball over uh, three times against him. De'Ron Bland with two uh, uh, interceptions, two kind of easy interceptions because Mac Jones looked him down. But props to Mr. Bland for taking advantage. To me, what puts him at number three? It's Dak Prescott. When you consider the fact that we, we get on Dak when he plays bad, and I'll tell you, we are as quiet as little church mice when he doesn't but when he does play well. So Dak Prescott against two of the best defenses in the NFL, two of the best coach defenses in the NFL, the New York Jets, who did you see what they did to Patrick Mahomes the other night? And Mahomes struggled through two bad picks. Yeah, and Dak Prescott, just uh, sitting back in his rocket chair, had a pass rating of 112. No big deal. Great defense. Pass rating 112. No, no biggie. And he gets the New England Patriots, coached by Bill Belichick. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, Dak has a pass rating of 108. Again, does not turn the ball over in that game. Was very efficient. Completion percentage was off the charts in both matchups. Uh, Dak Prescott, as I said earlier in today's show, he's going to be have to be the guy to win it for Dallas. Not the run game. Not, uh, you know, necessarily some other components. Defensively, I know Dallas will be good against San Francisco because they're a great defense. Dallas Dak Prescott has to win this game with his arm uh, for the Cowboys to beat the San Francisco 49ers. I think he is capable of doing that because he's shown us all thus far this season two elite defenses, Jets, Patriots. It's been great against both. San Francisco's a different test, but I think my man, Rain Dakota Prescott, is capable of putting together a good offensive performance uh, in San Francisco against the Niners. The Dallas Cowboys, because of Dak Prescott, that's what pushes them over the top to be the third best team in football in my eyes. Dallas Cowboys at number three. At number two, they don't move the Kansas City Chiefs. You're like, oh, come on, Bryson. Come on. Kansas City goes into the Jets. We know the Taylor Swift story. And... and uh the Taylor Swift love story. See what I did there? Um, swift reference, Kansas city goes into New York against the jets. And there's all this media attention. a lot of it, we saw the demographic demographic, uh, you know, of, of 18 to 24 year old women. And, and like, I think 12 to 17 year old girls like shoot up obviously because of Taylor, um, to bring a new audience to watch football, which is awesome. But, Kansas City goes in, they they go up 17 to nothing on the Jets, but then there's the safety, which wasn't a safety, but they called it a safety, and then Zach Wilson's playing well, and he's building confidence, and he's making this a more interesting game than certainly I think even Jets fans thought it would be, but then what do the Chiefs do? They do what any championship team does with championship DNA, they take the ball away at midfield from Zach Wilson, and they put together a seven-minute drive, seven-minute drive to eat the clock. You say, oh, they were, aided by, they were aided by bad calls. Well, if you look at that game, there were actually some horrendous calls on Kansas City as well, so it evened itself out pretty well there. Uh, Mahomes did not have a good day whatsoever against the New York Jets defense, which again is is really good. We talked about the going into the season, uh, and they played well against Mahomes, but again, and I keep saying this, I said this, I remember back in week two, that if you should feel great if you're a Chiefs fan because the defense has been great in every single game. If your concern is Mahomes is a little off, Oh, baby, you're in great shape. You are in fantastic shape if you're a Chiefs fan. Uh, So Kansas City, to me, the the second best team in the NFL. They've shown me no reason that I should drop them. And I've seen nothing from anybody else that says, Oh, yeah, they're definitely better than Kansas City. Except for the best team in the NFL, and I've had them here since week two, the San Francisco 49ers. Do I need to put together once again my soliloquy of the fact that they have easily far and away the best roster in the NFL, top to bottom? As I mentioned earlier in the show, Pro Football Focus uh, graded four players, four players! On the San Francisco 49ers, which is a solid percentage of their overall uh, team, or the overall starters, I should say, four players in the San Francisco 49ers, according to Pro Football Focus, are the best at their position. That's what they're capable of doing. Offensively, we know they can rush the football. Christian McCaffrey, to me, is, is he's interesting. I think Christian McCaffrey, he's got an NBA comp. Nikola Jokic. Now, Christian mccaffreys he's the best running back in the league. He's not the best player in the league. Jokic, to me, is the best player in the NBA, if worst case, second or third. But Jokic is a unicorn where, yeah, he's a great scorer, but a lot of big men have been great scorers. No, no, no. He's an elite rebounder. Well, a lot of great re- a lot of great centers in the NBA have been great rebounders. He is one of the best passers in basketball as a big. Oh, and he just so happens to be one of the most efficient uh, scorers, even from three-point range, even from the mid-range, the floater. Christian McCaffrey's a unicorn. Of course, he's a great running back, but again, we've seen plenty of those. Not to diminish them, but we've seen plenty of those. He can catch the ball in the backfield, though. He can run in between the tackles at his size, mind you. He can run off tackle. Uh, He is maybe the fastest player on his own team with respect to guys like Debo Samuel. Uh, Maybe one of the fastest players in the NFL save for Tyreek Hill and Jalen Hyatt. I mean, this guy is... a uh, a unicorn. We've never seen a running back quite like him. Brock Purdy, it's time we stop disrespecting Brock Purdy week in and week out. The Niners' offensive coaching staff led by Kyle Shanahan clearly trust him uh, in order for him to make some big-time throws, pushing the ball down the field, uh, moving in and outside the pocket uh, to to, to set his team up in a position to be successful. The Niners' defense is awesome. They have all pros everywhere on both sides of the football. actually kind of like their kicker, too, by the way, and Kyle Shanahan is an offensive mastermind. The San Francisco 49ers once again uh, for the uh, for the now fourth week in a row are the best team on Bryson's best 10. And therefore, because I have had the final say on all this is I'm sure you guys know the best team in the national football league. There you go. Bryce's best 10. So again, nine returning teams from, um, let me get a drink of Gatorade here. Nine returning teams from, uh, for Bryce's best 10 last week. Again, I, If you know if if you didn't watch uh, last week's Bryce's best Tim, I have my Pittsburgh Steelers in there. I'm not even sure they're a top 15 team right now. It's just hard to watch. You know, an offensive coordinator waste what you have at wide receiver and running back, but you know that's what Matt Canada does. Um, But I I decided, listen, I, I like what I'm seeing for the Los Angeles Rams, and the Rams are in a position that the Bills were in last week, where I had the Bills last week at number 10, because I'm like, okay, I like what I'm seeing, but I still don't trust Josh Allen quite in the biggest of moments, particularly late in the fourth quarter, with the careless plays and the turnovers. But, I said if they beat the Dolphins, they'll fly up the list. I kind of view the Los Angeles Rams in a similar sense, where they're at number 10, but if they beat Philly, well, they may not fly up the list as much as Buffalo will, but they'll definitely go up. They'll be, in, they'll be in everybody's top 10 if they beat Philadelphia. Uh, they're already in mine uh, this week, and they'll certainly get to uh, – maybe they'll flirt with top five territory. Maybe, maybe. Crazier things have happened. By the way, this week five schedule, I'm about to predict Bears and Commanders in just a second, but it's obviously headline Week five has headlined by Cowboys Niners, uh, which is probably the highest rated game of the year. How about London? Once again – or I shouldn't say once again. Last week was kind of a dud uh, if you're you know a diehard football fan. But the, the, this one here, Jacksonville Buffalo, two elite quarterbacks. Yes, Trevor Lawrence is elite. Um, Trevor Lawrence, Josh Allen. You got the coaching staffs for for both squads, which I think are really good. Good rosters, uh, fairly evenly matched. That's gonna be a good one in London. I'm excited. Jaguars don't lose in London, but the Bills are five and a half point favorites in that game. Uh, what else we got? We got. Uh, uh, hold on, let me look at the schedule here. Bengals Cardinals is interesting because Bengals are like the Cardinals have one win, and the Bengals, unlike the Cardinals, are uh, committing—I uh, shouldn't say quarterback malpractice—but they're certainly flirting with that in the sense that their best chance to win the Bengals' best chance to to win a Super Bowl or to even be in that discussion—it's hard to put them there because they're one and three today. But for them to put themselves in that discussion, you rest Joe Burrow, you sit him this week, and surely to goodness. Given how Burrow played, you can beat the Arizona Cardinals at home. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I apologize, uh, folks. It's in Arizona. You can beat Arizona in Arizona with a backup quarterback. Surely to goodness. Rely on Joe Mixon. Give your quarterback some easy plays. Allow him to play with the lead. Defense gets op- opportunistic. Maybe forces James Conner into a fumble or two. They should win that game with no Joe Burrow. The next week, they play Seattle. They will not beat Seattle without Joe Burrow. Frankly, they won't beat him with Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow's hurt. But they have a bye week after that. And then they play the buzzsaw in San Francisco, known as the 49ers. Maybe, maybe I'm crazy when I say this, but your best chance to beat the 49ers and your best chance to get your season back on track is to have Joe Burrow as healthy as humanly possible. And the way to do that is for sitting him the next three weeks. Because, you know, that calf looks worse and worse and worse. Every single week, you see Burrow constantly grimacing on the sideline. He's grabbing it. He's uncomfortable. Man, rest him for the next three weeks. This is why the Bengals have been a, a laughing stock franchise pre Burrow. Again, Eagles Rams is an interesting matchup. Jets Broncos, I know it's two, one, and three teams, but if you remember, uh, this is the Sean Payton game, because Sean Payton took a shot at the former, Bron- former Broncos head coach, Nat Hackett, Nathaniel Hackett, because Hackett did a bad job in Denver last year, and Sean Payton uh, told Jarrett Bell of USA Today, he said, it's the worst coaching job I've ever seen in the history of the NFL, and basically saying I'm going to fix this. Well, they're 1-3, their defense is awful, and their offense is bad situationally, outside of last week, props to him, Russell played well, but... Jets, Broncos, you you have this game. So it's the Champagne. The battle, the Nat Hackett game. Uh, that'll be fun. Chiefs, Vikings, I think the Chiefs are going to wax Minnesota. Uh, and then Packers, Raiders on Monday Night Football. That is gonna be Devontae Adams' um first game against his former team. So that'll be fun. But week five kicks off uh with I'm not gonna sit up here and lie to you guys because that's that's not I don't want to lie to my to my audience because you guys take time out of your day to watch, and I greatly, greatly appreciate that. Uh, so my my job is—I mean, I wouldn't lie to you anyway, but especially you're know, taking time every day to watch—I I, I can't lie to y'all. So, let's turn the background music back on. Uh, this is with all due respect, and usually, so, <laughs> with all due respect, usually a disrespectful statement follows that. This isn't exactly a. Must see game. Like you got to get. This is like Dallas San Francisco. You got to get in front of your TV and watch this matchup between the Chicago Bears and the Washington Commanders. But it is intriguing for a few reasons. So first of all, uh, Washington is a six point home favorite in this matchup against Chicago, the Bears, who have not won a regular season game or game in general. Obviously, they haven't made the playoffs in a very long time. Uh, they, they haven't made the playoffs the last couple of years. Point is the bears have not won a game since october of 2022 which they did so against mac jones and the new england patriots so you know it's pretty easy to get wins get wins against those guys but the going on the road to washington uh, this is the closest the Bears have come, at least last week, to 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 winning a football game this season. Maybe even in this losing streak to winning game, uh, they lost to the Denver Broncos. They had a 21 point lead, blew it at the end. A very questionable fourth down and one call by Matt Eberflus, who reports have uh, reports have said that if the Bears lose this game, drop to 0 and five, Eberflus probably loses his job. Uh, I don't think that necessarily even be the wrong move by the Bears. Um, they, they've mismanaged uh, Justin Fields to a certain extent in not really playing to his strengths. That loss to the to the Broncos was not on Mr. Fields, uh, who's had a very uneven season, some bad moments, some some really good moments, uh, not a whole lot in between. He's kind of like coin flip Davis, Anthony Davis. He's either great or he's awful. Uh, so that's the, you know, you don't necessarily want that from your your franchise quarterback or what you hope to be your franchise quarterback at the very least. Washington's an interesting one. Washington to me, then again, they're six point favorites. It's that they're almost good enough to, to be put in that, in that NFC wildcard discussion where Sam Howell's playing pretty darn good football, played very well against Philadelphia uh, in Philly on Sunday. And again, this is a short week for for the Commanders. Eric Bieniemy seemed to really change this whole Commander's offensive system. He's used the weapons they have there, in particular Terry McLaurin and the offensive line in Washington has been good as well. And their defense led by Chase Young has, has played relatively well with the exception uh, of the last couple of weeks. They'll get you know, an opportunity, kind of a get-right game for the defense against Chicago's struggling offense. So, you got Ryan Rivera, you got Matty Riffloose, two defensive guys. Uh, I think this is going to be an opportunity, given how awful the Bears' defense has been, I think this is an opportunity for Washington to kind of break out. Again, this isn't a marquee game, this isn't one you got to get in front of your TV to watch. I'll watch, obviously, because I love football, I want to watch football, and I'll be talking about th- this game likely uh, to leave my show on Friday, barring any other uh, unforeseen events. But, Given how awful this Bears defense is, I mean, Russell Wilson went up and down the field on him. And Russell's better this year than he was last year, but that shouldn't happen. You should give up 31 points to the Denver Broncos, missing a bunch of offensive players. I'm going to take the Washington Commanders to score 34 points on the uh, I'm sorry on the Chicago Bears the Washington Commanders score 34 on the Bears and win this game 34 to 19 over Chicago get to 3 and 2 to get a little short two game losing streak for, for Washington. I think they get the you know kind of a get right game once again for them. They win this one 34 to 19. They do cover uh the 6 point spread and they get to 3 and 2 and right in the midst of that NFC wildcard card discussion. Again, there, there's things I like about this team. Uh, Sam Howell's playing well. Now, when coordinators in the future get film on him, Will that kind of change a little bit? Potentially. But I, it's, Washington has good pieces. I like the enemy a lot as their OC. Could be an interesting matchup. But I I, I got the Commanders. I would be, I don't know, 6-6 feels like a perfect line for this game. I'm not going to lie to you. I'd be pretty surprised if the Bears won. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I mean, obviously, of course, I picked the Commanders to win by 15. I think Washington's defense has a lot of playmakers, particularly in their front seven. Chase Young, Cole Holcomb, Jonathan Allen, uh, it doesn't look like. I'm looking at the injury report right now. It doesn't appear to be that any of those guys are going to miss for Washington, they should be ready to go. So, Commanders win this one 34-19 over the Chicago Bears. The Bears lose once again. All right, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by, as always. Be sure to catch Carving Up Live on Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time, right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and The Grid Network YouTube channel. And be sure, of course, to go like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. Helps the channel grow exponentially. And, of course, be sure to go subscribe to The Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, The Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcasts, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere. You get your favorite podcast. Just had the 8 o'clock spot here on the grid last night. Had a blast. Congrats to Adam Bessie of the Cowboys Camp Fan Podcast. to Put up a spectacular performance to, to beat the defending reigning champion, Mike Frozen Guido, who did have a couple of frozen moments I forgot to bring up during the show. But a great show, 8 o'clock spot. And check out our other awesome content creators on the network. And again, real quick before we get out of here, again, my goal forgot to mention this, is to get to 1,000 subscribers by Super Bowl 58, which is February the 11th. Uh, we are up to, I th- let me check and give a, a live update. I think we're up to 448 right now, uh, 448 subscribers. Yes, to Carving Up Live. So if you have subscribed, thank you so much. we greatly, greatly appreciate it. Uh, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell their friend to tell somebody else's friend to tell their mother to tell their whoever, okay? To Go subscribe to Carving It Up and the Grid Network, of course, too. If you have not subscribed, again, it just takes a couple seconds. Just hit hit the subscribe button. It's that quick. There. Done. You did it. Congratulations. Your life has been made better because of it. That's cool. what we hope to do. Grow the channel. So thank you so much for y'all's support. See y'all on Friday. Please be sure to stay safe out there. Uh, please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please, please. We had some more events recently where this has got to be addressed. Please contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. Just had some some very disturbing news coming up. Uh, you know, a couple of, of, of incidents around the country revolving around gun violence. We've got to stop this problem, folks. So let's do let's, let's do our part in the ballot box. Let's do our part in calling those who are in power to address this problem. I'll see you on Friday's show. Got a game tomorrow night. Washington. We'll beat the, uh, we'll, the Washington, I almost said Washington will beat the Commanders. Washington will beat Chicago 34-19 and cover the six-point spread. So I'm winning y'all money there. That's what, that's what we do here in Carving Up Live. I've got, I'm on a hot streak on Thursday Night Football. So see you then. See you on Friday. God bless y'all. Peace out. Man, how about the Rays? Ooh. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. And be sure to go click that big red subscribe button. And check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on The
1: Grin Network.